WCW Street Stampede. Live tonight and only on pay-per-view. Don't miss out. Order now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Oh, looking away from the mic, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Got off to a great start. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast, episode 27. Yes, we're back again, the Steiner Brothers of the podcasting world. It's Big Dr. Dunk, your host, Duncan Joyce, joined as ever by the dog-faced gremlin, Kyle Cambry. <laughs> dog-faced gremlin, cheers. Hi everybody. <laughs> It's what Rick Steiner was called. Yeah. I couldn't put a, a drama <laughs> or a Triple no. H spiel on it. No, no. I am doing okay at the moment. I'm really busy. Yeah, I've just got so much stuff on at the moment. With college and new plays and learning scripts and just, yeah, so I'm, I'm very, very hectic at the moment. How about you? Good. Yeah, I need to make sure I set my alarm for Saturday for when Sendai Girls tickets go on sale. Ah, yeah. Super exciting. Mako Satomura's promotion. Yeah. The first ever UK show in Manchester. Where in Manchester is it? It's the Academy. Academy. Yeah. That's a good space. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was one of the last Fight Club Pro show I went to was in good layout and stuff. Yeah. And I didn't think too much of the show itself. But... Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, this has been two and a half years in the making. Pretty much. Yeah. I promised you, Kyle, that we would return to the world of WCW. And I do not like to let my promises go unkept. <laughs> okay. So here we are. On the verge of the 20th anniversary of what could perhaps be considered WCW's last great super show. Spring Stampede 1999. What was your most overriding memory from the last time we checked out WCW? I'm not going to beat around the bush. The, the, <laughs> the WCW pay-per-view that we looked at, Mayhem, was just... Mayhem? Bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it happened. Is, is the view that I had. <laughs> yeah, so I was quite sceptical coming into this one, <laughs> wondering how it would play out. Yeah, well, that scepticism is part of why I picked this show in particular, because... Not to put it lightly, 1999 WCW is roundly crapped on. <laughs> so I don't think people would suspect that there might be a decent enough show to come out of that year. But when Power Slam reached their 20th anniversary, they named the top 20 pay-per-views of the Power Slam years, and this show made that list. Oh, wow. When I first got the WWE Network, I started going through the WCW pay-per-views in chronological order, and this was one that stood out for me watching that all that time ago so yeah. it'd be good to revisit it again and the other thing about this show is just the previous week WCW had rebranded to that weird space age silver WCW yeah. logo so we're just at the point now where we've reached the WCW that I sort of recognised when I was growing up yeah this logo is very sort of divisive so Nitro the previous week got a brand new set literally the big WCW letters, the C's, the ramp, the W's part way to let the wrestlers come through. Yeah. I think it looks awesome. Some people really don't like it. No, I, I'm a fan of that. I say on quite a lot of these shows that I think the stage makes it. I'm not a fan of these generic 
stages on pay-per-views. Glad to see that WrestleMania keep to the show style of a pay-per-view because I think that's what it should be. But again, you know, just with like Nitro and Thunder or, you know, Raw, SmackDown, I think they should have their own specific set. Mm. It'd make it quite organic, you know. It was super, super depressing when Bischoff and Russo got back in power and they just switched to a plain old screen. Yeah. Part of the division on this new look probably comes from WCW's own promotion of this. They ran adverts in papers with just the outline of the logo telling them to tune into the date it was for Nitro. And it featured quotes like, it looks like something a bird left on the hood of my car. Oh my God. It's a very weird way yeah. to promote your brand new space age yeah. modern look. Because I thought beforehand it started to look a little bit dated and day glow. Yeah. So it needed a little bit more of an edge. Yeah. So this show took place on April the 11th, 1999. Hopefully this is going to come out around about the 20th anniversary, or just in time for it. From the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington. 17,690 fans in attendance. Just to give you a bit of background of WCW at the time... Despite some misfires, WCW in 1998 did tremendous business. They hit $500 million in revenue that year, which was a record for a wrestling company, but would have been matched until the WWF in the year 2000. Profits were somewhere in the region of 50 to 55 million. In December of 1998, Nitro was typically getting 4.1 to 4.6 ratings. Very healthy, but typically about 0.7 to 1 point behind Raw. Fast forward to the run-up to this show, and March 1999, Nitro got somewhere in the region of 4.3 or 4.4. Again, pretty healthy, but Raw had widened the gap and yeah. were about 1.5 to 3 points ahead of them. The spring of 1999 is like the biggest ratings Raw's ever done. Now, that could be down in part to WrestleMania season, but what else was going on that might have stunted WCW's growth? Well, back at Starcade in 1998, WCW champion Goldberg finally lost his undefeated streak and his title to Kevin Nash, thanks to Scott Hall and a cattle prod. Nash was the leader of the NWO Wolfpack back then, which was like the babyface slash tweener spin-off of the NWO, with the original group now going by NWO Hollywood or NWO Black and White. The January 4th, 1999 edition of Nitro from the Georgia Dome, saw Hogan challenge Nash for the title, and this gave us the infamous finger poke of doom, where Nash essentially surrendered the title to Hogan, turning the Wolfpack heel, and basically reuniting the two factions, but really, in practice, it was a lot more like the major players from NWO Hollywood joined the Wolfpack. Yeah. So, like you see here, Steiner and Hogan, who were like the two big guys from Hollywood, they come out to the Wolfpack music. Dave Penter's like, we're the NWO Wolfpack. Yeah. The rest of the NWO, black and white, oh my god. A proper killer's row of talent. It was Vincent, aka Virgil, Brian Adams, Stevie Ray, and Horace Hogan. And they were all in a four-way feud in the run-up to this show because they had all been apparently told by Hogan that they were in charge of the NWO Black and White. Oh, God. 
<laughs> and it finally got resolved the Nitro before Spring Stampede where Stevie Ray won an over-the-top rope battle royal right. to become the leader. Another major storyline going on at this time dates back to the December 28th, 1998 Monday Nitro, which was the night after Starcade, where Ric Flair defeated Eric Bischoff to become the president of WCW. His main target became the NWO and particularly Hollywood Hogan's World Heavyweight Championship. The NWO's mind games saw them recruit Rick's son David to the Wolfpack, costing him his championship match at Super Brawl in February. And this led to a barbed wire steel cage rematch at Uncensored the next month. If Flair lost, he would retire. But if he won, not only would he win the title, he would be, quote unquote, WCW president for life. Was that with a four as well? <laughs> <laughs> for, for life, for life, for life. In what was probably one of the most confusing slash misunderstood double turns in wrestling history, the stipulations of the match meant that the title could be won by first blood, pinfall or submission. The latter two weren't really brought up properly in the run-up to the show. Now, Flair bled first in the match, but he had referee Charles Robinson in his back pocket and he refused to let the match come to a halt and award the match to Hogan using his referee's discretion. Then, at a later point in the match, he fast-counted Hogan down and Flair won the title. So this was the start of Flair turning heel, becoming drunk with power and Hogan starting to turn a little bit more face adopt some of his old Hulk Hogan character traits of hulking up and stuff like that yeah it probably would have come across a lot better if commentary the first night after this happened weren't all like oh this is just payback from all the shit NWO done for us oh live with it so there (laughs) one of the other major players in WCW back then was Goldberg he was one of the first dissenters to grow suspicious of Flair and his power atop of WCW. In between his pursuit of the New World Order, he called Flair out for keeping him off the card of Uncensored the previous month and keeping him away from the title picture. He was nearly kept off of Spring Stampede altogether before Kevin Nash came out and challenged him. So that's the three big storylines yeah. overarching this show. We'll get into other specific ones as we start to go through it. Okay. So, music library music plays us in over clip arts of the featured players for today. Hogan, Flair, Diamond Dallas Page, Kevin Nash and Goldberg. You were speaking about unique stages earlier on. What do you make to the farmyard stage that we had today? Different. (laughs) Very different. It also comes into play as well. Oh yes, very much, yeah. (laughs) Did you spot the little cowboy boot that kicked to Toma's moon in place? <laughs> I love that. Our commentary team this evening are Iron Mike Tanay, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and a leather-jacketed clad Tony Schiavone. Tony mentions that this is WCW's first pay-per-view in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. Which explains a big crowd, and as we get into it, a very excited crowd. Today mentions Sting's message and messenger from last week's Nitro, which we'll get into more a bit later on. It turns out that that was the special referee for tonight's main event, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, he was very, very greasy. 
<laughs> I have to say. <laughs> Midlife <Yeah>. crisis, <laughs> oh yeah! Daniel Bryan would love the commentary table today. Did you see they yeah. had like a little hemp cover on the front? Yeah. <laughs> In the old spring stampede, Oregon Trail style thing. It's great to see how, back then, how much they wanted to push the storyline of, of like the stage. We're not just going to have it on the stage, we're going to have commentary involved with this, and you're just going to sit at a wooden desk. <laughs> it's a shame it wasn't like Canadian Stampede that the WWF did, everyone's in cowboy yeah. hats and stuff. Yeah. Our opening contest sees Blitzkrieg taking on Juventus Guerrero, with the winner taking on the WCW Cruiserweight Champion the next night on Nitro. Tony says, You heard what Dave Penzer said! Right after we couldn't hear at all what David <laughs> yeah. Penzer said. <laughs> <laughs> this match was just randomly announced on The Thunder before this show. And Tony quips, I didn't even realise there was a Thunder this past week. Him and Brain had both left the broadcast team for Thunder that week. Right. And they switched it up to just Mike Tanay and Larry Zabisco. Right. Finally, unlike last time, we're getting some more trademark WCW Cruiserweight action. Well, you're just wrestling in general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was nice to see. <laughs> Tanay informs us that apparently Blitzkrieg's finisher, the Sky Twisting Press, Gave Super Callow a second degree concussion. Brain quips. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Something is clearly edited out of commentary as well because Tony asks a question that just goes unanswered. Yeah. Are you familiar with either of these two men wrestling here? The only one that I'm not familiar with is Blitzkrieg, mm. or however you say it. Yeah. Blitzkrieg, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, isn't even to I, I'm rubbish with these names isn't he the guy who when he was in WWE he wouldn't drop the title and that match went on forever because he just wouldn't get pinned is he the guy I'm not sure it was either it was either the light heavyweight title or it just changed to the cruiserweight there was a big thing that he wouldn't drop the title he went out and he was supposed to go over for someone as soon as his name came up, I'm like, I'm sure that that was who he is. But yeah, he's the only one that I'm familiar with. Don't really know much about Blitzkrieg. Mm. Blitzkrieg, I'm only vaguely familiar with. He's very, very new at this time. Yeah. I would have completely not had a clue who he was, except for the fact that I got a Rey Mysterio compilation DVD. Yeah. And there was a random match between him and Mysterio on Nitro on that set. Well, and it was like, awesome. I did some research into him because I like to do that if I'm not familiar with them. He debuted in 94, retired in 99. Oh, God, so he's not long. That's a shame. Yeah. So I was trying to think of other people that have come in and retired, like, really early. It doesn't really say anything about injury. It just says, you know, he retired. Retired. Hmm. That's DDP. Within a year of him joining the WWF, he had to retire because of a back injury. Yeah. He got superplexed really badly by hardcore Holly. Yeah. I think Paige, would Paige fit into that year-wise? Because she's quite short career. 
2014 she was on the main roster and it had been 2017 that final injury that she had yeah so that's a short one mm. yeah. in terms of the WWE yeah. at least yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I I was quite surprised at that. I was thinking, oh, maybe you know, have a look at other matches and stuff. And then when it's you know debut ninety four, retired ninety nine, it's like, oh, okay. Mm. That's a shame. So at the get go, Blitzkrieg complains that his mask was being tugged, which seems to indicate that he might be kind of the heel for this match. They're talking about Huvi losing his mask as if it's like a this recent development. It was fourteen months ago. Yeah. I think it's just because Ray's lost his mask recently and it's coming up, they're trying to play Which it into I the I completely app. forgot about when he came out. And I was like, wait a minute, oh, what no. the hell? <laughs> Blitzkrieg lands on his feet from a judo flip and then a hip toss, then scores a total world backbreaker, but a second is countered with a head scissors. The crowd are super hot, counting along with corner punches and turnbuckle shots. Hoovy gets a tope and a brain buster, but... Blitzkrieg replies by backflipping off of his face. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> the proper ninja shit here. His crossbody to the outside gets drop kicked out of midair. There's a fantastic springboard tope moonsault to the outside by Blitzkrieg, who escapes a hoovy driver but then buggers up his counter to a superplex. The sky twisting press missed, but he gets a near fall with a cradle out of the hoovy driver. And a tornado top rope victory roll driver. He goes for it again, but then that gets countered into the super Hoovy driver for the free count. And Hooven 2 wins after 11 minutes, 11 seconds. Hmm. Palindromic match time. I enjoyed the flips and spills and spot monkey stuff like like you warned me about. That suicide plant job was really good. Yeah, my, my other notes was just great energy, great finish. Good start to the pay-per-view. While you were discussing the match, I had a look about the point that I was making. It was him. So on the 6th of January, 2006, WWE announced that they had released Guerrero. Mm-hmm. And so he was dropping the title against Kid Cash. And he was told by WWE not to use flips not to use all all that sort of stuff and he intentionally went out and did loads of spot monkey stuffs and just wouldn't get pinned and he was just everywhere as like a one last fuck you to WWE see when you mentioned that I thought it would have been around that time because I've not heard confirmation of this but apparently the back end of 2005 Vince McMahon did a it was like a radio interview or something it was like Anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. Anybody can be the WWE champion. I mean, even Juventus Guerrero. Yeah. And it went right to his head. And his professionalism went out the window over the last couple of months he was there. So I'm not surprised to hear that story. Yeah. The match itself, yeah, hot opener. They fluffed a couple of things, but they had some really, really cool offense. Great athleticism. Great way to get the crowd into things. Blitzkrieg really looked like a prospect here. It's a shame he didn't go any farther. Yeah, well, I think it's only like a few months later that he retired. Yeah, well, cause I don't remember him from when I was watching WCW, so yeah. it must have been quite a scene. Yeah. We then get clips of Bam Bam Bigelow and Hardcore Hack, a.k.a. the Sandman, beating each other up over the past several weeks with various bits of plunder. <laughs> oh, my first 
No. Hack is the Sandman. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as he came out, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> How much more on the nose can you get hardcore yeah. hack? Yeah. You can't wrestle and you just do plunder shit. We don't name you hack. The package culminates in Raven's sister Chastity spraying Bam Bam in the face with a fire extinguisher. Keep that in mind for our upcoming match. I've got that it's a hardcore match? Question mark? <laughs> it's not really announced as such, yeah. but I don't know. So yeah, it's hardcore hack taking on Bam Bam Bigelow. It's probably like hack is kayfabe some sort of relative of Raven. And Raven back in his time in WCW would do Raven's rules matches. Yeah. I don't know how he got the stroke to do that he just refused to wrestle unless it was like a hardcore match he could do whatever the fuck he wanted right when they were coming out you, it was your, your typical hardcore match you know I'm coming out with my weapons sort of thing yeah taking it back to Attitude Era wrestling these are very very recent signees from ECW yeah Bam Bam aside maybe these are kind of the signings that I'd feel Maybe they've signed it more to hurt ECW than to favour WCW. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unlike Dean Ambrose, Bam Bam is no punk. He brought his poly, his plunder trolley. Plolly. <laughs> he immediately started using it, pinning Hack against the guardrail. Yeah. <laughs> that was so cool. Oh, Hack has a white hanky hanging out of his right back pocket. I did some research on this. Is, are you aware of the, the hanky code, Kyle? No. It started out in the queer community. It's like a, a thing to communicate your sexual preferences without being, you know... It's like the pocket out of the pants thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, it's kind of like how nowadays people have single parties and they have like traffic light yeah, yeah. bands on. Like green if they're single, orange if they're just looking, or red if they're attached to someone like yeah. that. Yeah. Now, it depends on what kind of hanky it was hanging out here. But either means that he enjoys mutual masturbation, unless it's a velvet hanky, in which case it means he likes to, quote-unquote, put on a show during orgies. (laughs) I'd like to say it was the latter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've all seen that clip where... Big Dick Johnson is yeah. working his <laughs> Oh, he finds a table hidden underneath the stagecoach. Yeah. Oh, would you look at that? How convenient. He then climbs the coach and hits the rolling rock senton through the table. Very good start. Mm. Pinfalls don't seem to count anywhere, though, which is a shame. Yeah, that's sort of the part of the hardcore rule. Yeah. You, you pin them anywhere. Tony absolutely buries the trash can as a weapon on commentary, and then immediately, bam, bam, hits the biggest trash can shot you could ever imagine. Yeah. Oh, did you see there was a broom they used in this match? Yep. The head was still in its packaging? <laughs> they didn't unwrap it. <laughs> Are you literally going to try and get a refund for it coming back in the store? (laughs) Didn't work. (laughs) Hack does a rolling rock onto a ladder, onto Bigelow, and then a bulldog into a ladder. And Tony's impressed that Hardcore Hack has brought his own safety rail. (laughs) He gets thrown off a ladder through a table that was set up on the outside. 
And then he accidentally crotched himself on the safety rail, missing a leg drop. Bam Bam then gets revenge on Chastity, spraying her in the face with the extinguisher. But in the distraction, Sandman hits a white Russian leg sweep for a near fall. But then Bam Bam quickly comes back with the greetings from Asbury Park off the top rope through a table to get the free count. That's two top rope finishes in a row. Two matches in. So Bam Bam wins in 11 minutes, 33 seconds. What did you make to this, Kyle, as a, as a new viewer? Well, I didn't have a different view to it, to be honest, because I felt that I'd seen that match a hundred times before. I think that was my issue with it. I could watch any generic hardcore match and that would just fit right in there. And I found that the match at times was quite sloppy. Of I've got a weapon, I'm just going to swing it at you. Mm. There's no reasoning for me to do this, but it's a hardcore match, so fuck it, I'm doing it. That kind of came across in that match. I love hardcore matches. The good, the good fun. So, yes, it was good, but it, it wasn't great. No. Yeah, i got to be honest, I lost interest pretty quickly here. Felt super ham-fisted. Selling went out the window. And the spots were either massively telegraphed or hugely awkward. Yeah. At the conclusion of this match, Tony warns us, Fans, have a clue. Don't try this in your backyard. And brain quips, Try it in your living room, it's more fun! <laughs> I love the brain. <laughs> it's great. Our third match of the evening, a special unadvertised match, sees Scotty Riggs taking on Mikey Whipwreck. As soon as I saw this match, I'm like, hmm, this really doesn't fit the narrative that has been developed about WCW and the undercards on their pay-per-views. Yeah. The general consensus post WCW being a thing is, oh, they had a hot undercard and the main event stank. Yeah. They were very, very prone to this and it slipped under the radar. Like, they signed so many wrestlers and just as a show of their power or whatever, they'll just randomly put one of these matches on to fill up their card and remind people, oh, yeah, we've got these guys, by the way. Is it a bit like WWE do now? Guess so, yeah. Yeah, this unadvertised match, it's billed as, it didn't really have any build-up whatsoever. Mikey Whitbreck had only just returned the previous week on Thunder because he debuted at Uncensored, fighting Kidman for the Cruiserweight title, yeah. and according to Mike Tanay, he bruised his heel. Mm. So this is his comeback match. Scotty Riggs, he's been wrestling a couple of times on Nitro and Thunder, but nothing particularly notable. Yeah. It's like in the hour one of the three hour Nitro, just to have a match out there just for the sake of having a match. Yeah. Scotty Riggs has a crap Val Venus routine that the camera refuses to focus yeah. on. It's hilarious. <laughs> Cut away immediately. Mikey hits a leg drop across the bottom rope. And a slingshot Hurricane Rana to the outside. But then a second leg drop is missed. And Riggs sends him off the apron. The back of his head hitting the barricade. Such a nasty bump. Riggs made the cover with one finger for a two count. Fans chant boring. And a bald guy in a white shirt in front of the hard camera is openly seen yawning. (laughs) He's fine (laughs) too. like... Yeah, mate, that's exactly how I'm feeling right now as well. (laughs) 
Mikey gets some near falls with a second rope drop kick and a Russian leg sweep. Riggs got his foot on the ropes after a Hurricane Rana, and then what the fuck just wins the match with a flying forearm? Honestly, as soon as that happened, literally, my only note was it happened. <laughs> That's, I have no notes for it. I, it didn't need to be there. Exactly right. Scotty Riggs wins after seven minutes and three seconds of pointless and useless wrestling, basically. Yeah. This puts us about a third of the way through the show, so it's first trimester question time. Now, since we're looking at WCW again, Kyle, uh, I was wondering, as someone who stuck with the WWE instead, what idea, gimmick or business tactic or anything to do in wrestling that WCW came up with are you glad has filtered through into the WWE? Hmm... Just off the blocks, I'm glad that they brought the world title through because I think that's a hell of a, a belt. So that's one thing that I'm glad filtered through. Mm-hmm. I don't know really. I think just how the big factions came through. Because I think in WWE at the time, you, well, you had the big factions, but they didn't last a long time. Whereas WCW bit like the Radicals, you know, when they were the horsemen and they, they kind of split a little. The NWO, how they've gone for a long time. That was one thing that I quite liked about WCW of, you know, you go years and years and years and years and years and these factions were still around and they were still buddies and they were still going strong. And I think from WWE's point of view, I'd probably say what, DX maybe is still your faction that survived going on so I'd, I'd probably say that as well it yeah. just makes sense really doesn't it yeah. if, if it's especially a large faction yeah it's going to kind of permeate through for a long time and you're seeing this style in New Japan especially chaos has been a thing for nearly 10 years or so mm. right now and you've got the Bullet Club of the Firing Squad or whatever they call themselves yeah you got a lot of single bonables. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good style. But WCW I, didn't get everything right about it, but it, yeah. it definitely helped. But that's that's what frustrates me about stables these days, is that I feel like if you've got a stable, there must be a reason why you've got that stable. So then to have that stable split up on small terms, it like backfires the whole reason of you having that stable in the first place. Mm. So yes, the likes of... DX have split up, the likes of the NWO have split up, but at the end of the day, they know that they can count on each other to back them up, even if they're out in singles matches and you know stuff like that. Whereas your generic WWE stables is, oh, we've split up now, I'm gonna come and screw you over in your matches, like, down the line, and it's like, I don't know, it just seems backwards logic, you know, you, you're supposed to be building up these friendships. I suppose that the present day one, is the shield at the end of the day as much as Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins split everything up, they know that boys that, you know, got them there in the first place, sort mm. of thing. Two main ones for me, I think. The T V time that they gave for the standard of wrestling back then smaller wrestlers. Yeah. To like perpetuate the, this new modern style of wrestling. Like the cruiserweights. And, cruiserweights yeah. and things like that, yeah. So much of that is owned to WCW and you know, their desire to compete and have an eye-catching mm. show 
And the other one, maybe this will be a little bit controversial, but I'll make sure I include my caveats here. Pushing for monthly pay-per-views. WCW were the ones who started upping and upping. And I really think that one pay-per-view a month is the ideal standard to have to keep your stories rolling. WWE 2006 and seven where it's like 16 or 14 a year. Yeah. Uh, or like the first year of the new brand split where every brand got a... Yeah, it's every two weeks. Or every whatever, two yeah. weeks, basically, yeah. Uh, that was a bit too much. But once a month is just spot on. Yeah. And that was all down to WCW and Eric Bischoff especially. Maybe even Mike Graham if you believe yeah. him. Yeah, so that's what I'm mostly thankful for. Yeah. Yeah. We then get a video package of the feud between Conan and Disco Inferno. Now, Disco was jealous that K-Dog had this music video that was featured all over Nitro, and he made a video of his own to compensate. The video package describing this feud is borderline unlistenable as they just play Disco's yeah. promo over Conan's rap music. Mm. I couldn't tell what was going on, really. Oh, finally, someone has turned Dave Penzer's mic up so you can actually hear him <laughs> yeah. announce the wrestlers. Oh, did you spot as well, like he was back at Mayhem, he's in his rainbow cummerbund yeah. and yeah. he's got a rainbow bow title match. <laughs> so our fourth match of the evening, a one-fall grudge match, sees Disco Inferno taking on Conan. I couldn't understand a whole bunch of Conan's promo, but it is very, very over. Yeah. I'll say that. Who the fuck let Disco into the Wolfpack? Honestly! And the Wolfpack as well, they're supposed to be like the cool yeah. side of the NWO. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's so weird, like, you hear his music and you're like, duh, 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 duh. and then you hear the, what the fuck? <laughs> this is so incongruous. Imagine like Santino in the Nexus or <laughs> something like that. Oh, God. K-Dog calls him a strawberry who doesn't know how to dress, which causes Disco to attack. Both of these men are wrestling in camo trousers. This was definitely the late 90s. Yep. Any favourite outdated fashions in wrestling for you, Kyle? Hardy Boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The velour shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Punk, like, skater pants, yeah. Yeah. Edge and Christian. When they first came, you know, mm-hmm. the, the long dress white shirts. But Poppy yep. shirt! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? It's the Puffy shirt. Look at it, huh? Well, you can't wear that on the show. Jerry, you are promoting a benefit to clothe homeless people. <laughs> you can't come out dressed like that. You're all puffed up. You look like the Count of Monte Cristo. I have to wear it. The woman has orders for this shirt based on me wearing it on TV. Yeah, but you're supposed to be a compassionate person that cares about poor people. You look like you're going to swing in on a chandelier. Yeah. I will always be a sucker for Zubaz. Yeah. And Riviera Steakhouse jackets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't go wrong <laughs> Early on, Disco steals Conan's trademark rolling clothesline. Mm. 
Oh, there's another 10 count punch in the corner. Yeah, they, they love the 10 counts, don't they? <laughs> they're loving this tonight. We're going to get plenty more to come, don't you worry. <laughs> Rope run arm drag by Conan. And then Disco hits a decent net breaker. But the less said about his chin lock, the better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a shit chin lock. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. yeah. I got distracted by a vendor selling candy floss in this match. Do we get that anymore? Like, people going around through arenas selling snacks. I think so. I, it's been a while since I've seen yeah, I can't, someone. I can't remember the last time I saw one. Mm. Hmm. Disco hits the five-knuckle shuffle. Mm. Trademark. Conan got his rolling lariat in reply, a cradle DDT, a fancy SOS-style roll-up, and then... The nail in the coffin. He steals Disco Inferno's finisher for the last dance to win the match after 9 minutes and 17 seconds. It was a Stone Cold Stunner. Yes, it was. <laughs> Not the only guy in WCW using the Stunner as his finisher. You know who else used this move? I should know this. It was the Disciple. Oh. A.K.A. Ed Leslie. Oh. He called it the Apocalypse. Ah. He was... Involved a little bit in the Flair-Hogan rivalry around this time. Thunder a couple of weeks back, Flair basically blackmailed him into fighting Hogan in the match because, you know, it's his contract's about to expire. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you what. Take out Hogan, wrestle him, double your guarantee, bro. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Because he was on, like, 400 grand already. Yeah. Can you imagine if he legitimately went up to 800 grand? <laughs> <laughs> Just bankrupt. That's it. Yeah. Gone. <laughs> what do you think of the match, Kyle? It was actually a decent match. That's as far as I'm rating that match. Mm-hmm. There's a few good back and forth moments. I thought some of the moves that they pulled off was quite slick. Other than that, it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. This didn't really do that much for me. I thought it was mostly dull until you got to the last 90 seconds and they finally remembered, oh shit, we should do some wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Our friends at the Days of Thunder podcast, this would be their nightmare match. One of the lads hates Disco Inferno. The other lad absolutely hates Conan. (laughs) I'm going to have to point this out to them and say, hey, look at this match you're escaping. (laughs) The show's about to kick into real high gear with our next matchup, fifth of the evening, with the Cruiserweight Championship on the line. Rey Mysterio Jr., the champion, defending against Billy Kidman. And at this point in time, they're both co-holders of the World Tag Team Championships. Yeah, awkward. That's happened quite a few times. It has, yeah. It had already happened once at the very least as well, which I didn't realise. It was uh, Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels, Mm, King of the Ring 97. Yeah, yeah. That's the first Tag Team Champion versus Tag Team Champion match I can remember. Yeah, Yeah, I would say so. But it has become a lot more common, like, especially when you got into the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie versus Ray, WrestleMania 21. Yeah. You know, Sean versus Cena, WrestleMania 23. Yeah. A bit about these lads. You're probably familiar with them, but as far as what's going on with them recently, Billy Kidman is probably the biggest breakaway success from Raven's old faction, The Flock. He's a two time cruiserweight champion by this point in time. His last reign lasted all the way from November to March. Rey Mysterio, as you noticed, Kyle, is maskless. Yeah. Uh, Super Brawl back in February. 
Ray and Conan lost a tag team match against Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, which forced him to unmask. The immediate aftermath saw Ray got a pretty big push as this giant killer and wound up in a little mini feud with Nash. And he got a win over him, got a win over Scott Norton and the win over Bam Bam Bigelow. And the night after Uncensored, he beat Kidman for the Cruiserweight title. And he's promised Kidman this rematch. So here we are tonight. See, I've always wondered for wrestlers losing the masks, like, because it's so sacred to them, like, surely they, they don't accept that easily. We mentioned uh, the last time we covered WCW that Bischoff originally wanted to do this back in 1997 and Ray stood his ground. I guess he's a bit more amenable this time around because this meant Ray could change his look to better match Conan and Kidman and then you eventually see the genesis of the filthy animals in between being the no-limit soldiers defending the (laughs) sanctity of rap music against the West Texas Texas rednecks. Yeah, and you you got this kind of little push out of it against bigger men, Uh, so that probably paid off a little bit more. He's probably got a bigger guarantee by this point. So there's probably a few factors at play here. Yeah. Yeah. When he made the jump to... WWE, he obviously got his mask back, but was that the first time we'd seen him back with his mask? Or yeah, it was yeah. very, very specifically Vince McMahon's yeah. orders, and it caused quite a bit of a kerfuffle back in Mexico because that's kind of like against the grain as far as tradition goes. Like once you've lost it, you've lost it's it. It's supposed to be a permanent yeah. thing, yeah. Although it didn't seem to harm him too much when he went back to AAA and no. the crash and places like that. Yeah. Both men at the start of this match bridge up from a knuckle lock and then trade head scissors. Kim and then hits a plancher and wheelbarrows Ray into the barricade. Ray replies with the flying dick to the face and a lion salt. But Billy blocks a hurricane rana into a power bomb, then blocks a backbreaker and turns it into a bossman slam. Hits the BK bomb and the shooting star press off the apron. Yeah, it's nice. Tanae called it a moonsault and Tony corrected him and he sounded awful chuffed yeah, about he did. it. <laughs> <laughs> he then mentions how uncharacteristic it is for Kidman to hook a chin lock at this point in the match. He cites that it's the punishment he's been taking on the outside as to why he's sort of changed tactics here. There's a great double jump helo to the outside by Ray, who counters a second BK bomb with a face buster. And hits a second rope wheelbarrow bulldog, which was actually the move that won him the title on Nitro. That got him a near fall. Did you spot this Billy Kibben used for satisfaction? Yeah. <laughs> Bring more bulldog. I like that. Ray replies with the drop of the dime leg drop, only to make the fatal error of trying to powerbomb Billy Kidman. Yeah. One of the biggest unwritten <laughs> rules in professional wrestling. However, Ray crotches him when he went up top of the shooting star and hit the Hurricane Rana to get a free count and retain his title after 15 minutes and 32 seconds. What did you make to this? Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I've missed Billy Kidman. Watching that, I was like, I was just... You know, the, the shooting star press and all that sort of stuff, it just brought back good memories. And I felt during that match that... I don't know whether 
they were making more of their impact or whether they were just doing their moves differently. But the Hurricanrana and the sit-down powerbomb, they felt nasty when they hit them compared to anybody else. I don't yeah. know whether it was the way that they were hitting them or just the energy that they had, but it was nice. It's good. See, I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the match. Yeah, very enjoyable match. Really similar quality to the opener. Got a little bit fatiguing near the very end. The crowd felt like they lost a little bit of energy, but this was full of interesting counters and was always entertaining. Mm, yeah. yeah, top quality stuff. This is more of a trademark action I'd associate with WCW. As opposed to, what did we have? Disco Inferno versus Evan Courageous. Oh, my word. We then see clips from the Spring Breakout Nitro. They go on Spring Break, literally, and put the ring in a pool. Yeah. (laughs) This is where the then Tag Team Champions, Benoit and Malenko of the Horsemen, were confronted by Perry Saturn during a title defence against Raven, who didn't have a designated partner. Much to everyone's surprise, Saturn, who was the man who broke up Raven's flock, actually joined in the match as Raven's partner and defended him. And we then got a dusty finish where they got DQ'd when they thought they won the Tag Team Championships. The next week on Nitro, they then cost the Horsemen the tag titles against Kidman and Ray, which is how they got them there. Oddly, it was implied that Raven and Saturn were actually already scheduled to face the Horsemen for the titles at Spring Stampede. (laughs) And Raven cut a promo on Thunder the Thursday after that saying... Yeah, that was kind of a miscalculation. <laughs> but then sat and save it, saying, well, well, we figured the champions are always a title shot now. Yeah. And they did get that title shot the next week on Nitro, the April 5th edition, but the Horsemen then cost them the match out of revenge. Yeah. <laughs> so the Horsemen kind of screwed themselves out of a tag title match then as well. Why does no one want the tag titles? <laughs> <laughs> Raven, he's a figure we've not really come across much in our wrestling journey. Any thoughts on Raven? I quite liked Raven when he first came over to WWF, WWE. He was very much one of your main hardcore guys. So anytime I would relate to hardcore matches, it would either be Raven or Crash Holly. They were your two. Mm. But yeah, I never thought he was an amazing wrestler he was just he was good at what he did very much for thinking man's hardcore wrestler for me the main thought that I have that comes into my head Backlash 2001 was the first WWF pay-per-view I taped off the TV and him and Rhino had this absolutely blistering match together right after Raven's face turn it's just incredible Mm. that's the style of hardcore match that you want like the weapons came into play but they had a reason played into the actual like traditional wrestling move sets that they had as well yeah like it wasn't just hitting each other for hitting each other's sake yeah so our sixth match is a tag team contest where the horsemen Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko accompanied by Arn Anderson are taking on Raven and Saturn Raven's WWF theme is dubbed in over this. Oh, I didn't notice that. Mm, it's the caca caca. Ah. His actual theme is some kind of Nirvana ripoff. Right. WWE don't want to get sued by Nirvana. Yeah. 
So that's what we've already found. If you ever go back and watch any events Jericho's on, his very, very first WWF theme gets dubbed over. Because mm. his was like a knockoff of Even Flow by Pearl Jam. Yeah. It's like. Raven has sat and come out with a table. They don't mention explicitly that this is Raven's rules, but it kind of turns into the case later on. Yeah. Which we'll get to. Early goings are some excellent exchanges between Benoit and Saturn. And then some great double teams with Raven by Saturn, including a front suplex and backslash combo. Got a two count. Raven, he put the brakes on before Dean can attack him from the apron. Yeah. Now, usually people hit the ropes and then get kneed or something. Raven actually stopped himself, but then that resulted in him getting attacked by Benoit to yeah. send him to the outside. And then, with a ref distracted, Arn attacks on the outside to take advantage. Good old Arn Anderson. Yeah. He looks proper trim here as well. Yeah, he does. Like, considering he's he's retired a good couple of years by this point. Yeah. He can't wrestle. Mm. So he's, he's just in shape for the sake of being in shape here. Dean distracted the ref when Raven had Benoit cradled. And then the horseman maintained control excellently until Saturn gets a hot tag. And he nails Arn Anderson off the apron. Hitting a T-bone suplex to Dean. Another corner 10 punch under his skirt to Benoit. Yeah. Do you know why Saturn's wearing a skirt here? No. He, I think it was sold out in 1999. He wrestled Chris Jericho in a match where the loser had to wear a dress. And he just like, fuck it, I'm owning this. And part of his gimmick is like this outsider... Right. Like he's excommunicated from a flock, he's excommunicated from society, so he's just rolling with it and you know going against everyone's expectations. Cool. Well, I kept flinching because of his piercing that he's got, mm. and I just think, oh my god, he's just gonna rip out because it still freaks me out now. He like even when he was in WWE, he still had you know the ring. Just like, oh god, yeah, take it out. Yeah. <laughs> the ex-flock guys hit a doomsday crossbody on Dean. Benoit broke up the Death Valley Driver attempt, and Malenko drop kicks Perry into a German suplex by Benoit, which mm. is really swish. The Tiger Bomb into the Clover Leaf by Malenko gets locked in, but Saturn got the ropes, and the crowd's super super hot at this point. Here. Yeah. Saturn comes back with a Death Valley driver, but Benoit headbutts him off the cover, which gets a near fall. Commentary keep calling into question the refereeing of Charles Robinson in the match, who is, at this point, in the pocket of Flair. Yeah. And they're like, oh, is he going to favour the horseman here? What's going on? You know, why isn't he taking control of this matchup? Perry suplexes out of a sleeper, which leads to the hot tag to Raven. He shit-cans Dean and drop toll-holds Benoit, into a chair that Saturn had brought into the ring. Yeah. So this is where maybe it is Raven's rules after all. Saturn crashes through the table outside when he tried to splash Dean through it. And then Raven hits the Raven effect to Dean, but Arn placed a chair over Raven's head and Benoit flies off the top rope to headbutt into the chair. And blade jobs himself. Yeah. Ugh. Dean gets the cover, which gets the horseman the win. In 14 minutes, 11 seconds, what was a tremendous matchup. Got the fans absolutely ravenous for both of the tags here. 
excellent psychology from the horsemen when they were controlling the match. WWE really took this double hot tag formula yeah. in the late 2000s and they ran with it, especially on SmackDown. It's just great teamwork all around here. The near falls in the latter half really made it felt like the match could end at any point. Yeah. This was a blistering match. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed the match. Ben Wall looked really good, really good shape. It was a, a really good match. I liked the, the way that the two teams worked together. Worked really well, nice and slick. I just didn't understand the finish. Now, it makes a little more sense with what you're telling me about Robinson and you know what he was going through. But surely if Arn Anderson places a chair on top of someone's head as a referee, you move the chair. That you just didn't stick right with me. Because, yeah, he goes and talks to Arn Anderson, but as a referee, you would pick the chair up and talk to Arn Anderson. Like, mm. It just it didn't feel right. Yeah, it was kind of like... Raven could use the chair legally earlier, and yet Arn has to sneak the chair through here. Yeah. It felt like a little bit of miscommunication there. Like, Robinson watched him do it. He was like, I'm just just going to place this here. Yeah, yeah, okay, dear, no problem. All right, okay, yeah, shout out, mate, that's fine. It just, it jarred a little bit. But other than that, it, it was a very good match. Very yeah. Good. Sensational. We're about two-thirds of the way through the show right now, so it's time for the return of Sign Watch. Da, 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 da. Loads of signs here. I paused it on several occasions to get a load of some of these. There's some excellent stuff here. One red kick flare in the dentures. And then another later on claimed David Flair bites. <laughs> Hopefully not with his yeah, dad's dentures. Yeah. <laughs> There's a sign that read Big Drunk, which I thought might have been a reference to Kevin Nash. Mm-hmm. There was an OWN sign. Do you know what that relates to, Kyle? No. It's the One Warrior Nation. And who is this One Warrior that's a member of the One Warrior Nation? <laughs> Incredibly, though, at one point there was two people in the One Warrior Nation. How? Because <laughs> he hypnotised the disciple to join in with him and go against Hogan. Oh, God. <laughs> this is an absolutely batshit crazy fall 1998 rivalry. Of course it was. <laughs> With the mirrors and the appearing underneath the ring, the, yeah. the trapdoor buggered up Davy Boy's back. And... Yeah. Oh, my God. Jackknife me, Nash. Well, unless you're as big as a giant, in which case you're going to land on your neck. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I'm Scott Hall's son. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I very much doubted it was Cody Hall in yeah. the crowd at this point. Hogan loves scat. Scat, man! <laughs> I think given his stance on black people, that's very yeah. likely. Yeah. Oil of Ole. All day, every day. <laughs> Alright. It's random product placement. Conan is a beaner. Beaner. Beaner, yeah. I don't know what that is. <laughs> no clue. Canada is not horseman country. Hey! <laughs> and they're taking exception to Ben Watt. I'm like, well, you're not in Canada yeah. either, mate. <laughs> Where is Jericho? 
I like that sign because yeah, where is Jericho? <laughs> he was on TV a lot yeah. this past month, but I think he's on his way somewhere else quite yeah. soon. Big Papa Chump, Big Papa Pump, colon Genetic Geek, <laughs> and then Big Papa Puke. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter marking out for that one. <laughs> the ultimate puke. <laughs> Macho kick flare in the woo! <laughs> That's a good one. Another sign here that read, Thanks with an X for taping this, Dad. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, again, I said there's the some of these in pairs. One sign read, Flare is God, and the sign next to them read, Flare sucks. Not <laughs> <laughs> how they got along with each other there. My two favourites here. One, it's like a back-to-back sign. One sign read, Hi, Sarah. And then he'd flip it around and it'd say, Hi, Sylvia. And they alternate all throughout the show. <laughs> it made me think that like maybe they're like this sitcom character yeah. <laughs> where they're dating two girls at once and they're on the phone to the buddy and like both girls are watching and they have to like, yeah. flip to the appropriate <laughs> yeah. sign when the, when the right girl sees it. <laughs> and then... There's a drawing of Hulk Hogan that was labelled 24 and a quarter arms. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. I think they mean 24 and a quarter inch arms. Yeah. Like Hogan literally has 24 <laughs> and a quarter arms. I miss signs. Yeah. There's always this, with modern wrestling, signs or chants debate, yeah. and I always prefer signs. Yeah, I think you, there's a lot of humour in signs. Mm. Yeah. Up next, we have the finals in our tournament to declare a new United States Heavyweight Champion. A few weeks ago on Thunder, the previous champion, Scott Hall, had gone AWOL, and so WCW President Ric Flair stripped him of the title and set up this tournament. The quarterfinals saw Meng defeat Bam Bam Bigelow, Scott Steiner beat Chris Jericho, Booker T defeated Saturn, and then in a loophole due to an injury to Kurt Hennig, Jericho weaned his way back into the tournament and beat Chris Adams mm. to get back into the semis. The semi-finals saw Scott Steiner beat Meng, and Booker T defeated Jericho by a DQ, thanks to Steiner's interference. Yeah. We then saw that Booker T retained his TV championship in a rematch on the Thunder before this show, thanks to Stevie Ray hitting Jericho with a slapjack. Yeah. That match actually headlined a vastly downgraded edition of Thunder. Before that edition, there was like some big star in there, like Flair, Hogan, Nash, Goldberg, Page. All of those guys were absent from that edition of Thunder. We've come across Scott Steiner previously a couple of episodes ago, Kyle, and I don't think you you were very impressed. What's your opinion on him now? See, in this. <laughs> yeah, see, but he's a bit closer to his prime here. I was never a fan of Scott Steiner. I no, just, no, I don't know. The match was good, you know. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think my thing with Scott Steiner is that. The way that he's built, I don't like big guys like that that don't have much flexibility in the ring. Because I don't feel like he does. You know, there's people his size that are way more flexible. 
than he is. I feel he's quite rigid mm. in his movement. So there you go, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> this will take us into our seventh match of the evening, the United States Championship Tournament Final. Scott Steiner taking on the world television champion, Booker T. Sucker! You see all the raising the roof <laughs> when Booker T came out. There was one edition of, I think it was Nitro, where you saw on camera there's like a, a producer and attendant telling the crowd, okay, come on, it's time to raise the roof. The heat for Steiner here is incredible. His character is on point right here. He lets some guy's girlfriend in the front row feel him up. And then he teases the guy about it. And the guys are like, well, she goes home with me. And Steiner replies, I she thinks about me. <laughs> Fans are squaring up to him in the front row. Mm. Tony quips, well, we've proved that many ringside fans have had a lobotomy before we arrived today. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> Insult. <laughs> your top paying, top paying <laughs> section of your audience. Surprisingly, Booker got a little bit of riding time at the start of this match mm. over the former University of Michigan amateur guy. But then Steiner gets back to dominating. There's an excellent drop kick and flying forearm and crescent kick by Booker T. After he did the flying forearm, I was like, cover him, cover him! Yeah. Scotty Riggs won with that! <laughs> Just goes to show how so behind the times he is. Yeah. Like Booker, his moveset in this match is just so dynamic. Yeah. Great. And there's another 10 punch yeah. spot. And another. But Big Papa Pump crutches Booker on the ropes before he could finish the count. Steiner attacks with a chair on the outside to no disqualification. Yeah. Tony says that the ref's giving a lot of leeway in this match. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're giving a lot of leeway. <laughs> I imagine it's because the championship's vacant. They don't want to be without a title holder for any longer so. I also think it's the amount of ref spots that they, they had in this match has been knocked senseless anyway <laughs> just got no fucking idea of what's happening Steiner does his elbow drop push up spot this is something you don't get anymore fans chant steroids yeah. Steiner <laughs> yeah. steroids <laughs> he hits a spinning belly to belly and covers with his knee while he flexes, which I loved. Mm. Come on, Kyle, he's doing the more poses, he's getting the crowd the crowd back on side here. <laughs> you should be loving this. Yeah, well, this is my, exactly my point of if he's so-called in his prime, he should be doing this. The fact that he didn't do it when he was in WWE means that he just couldn't be asked. It's his own fault that he got buried. <laughs> Blatant low blow. Tanae then claims that the referee is too intimidated to disqualify Steiner for it. There's an ace spinning wheel kick by Booker T. Yeah. Then Steiner pulls the ref in the way and Booker T collides with the ref. Booker then hits the scissors kick, the flapjack, the spinnerunai, and then the Harlem sidekick. But the referee is still down. Steiner clotheslines the ref from behind when Booker tried to help him up. And then tried a leapfrog, but was caught into the sidewalk slam. Yeah. Read Spineless. <laughs> Steiner came back with the Frankensteiner. He then makes the ref count, but Booker T still kicked out. Yeah. Big babyface moment there. Steiner could control the cadence <laughs> of the count, and Booker still kicked out. 
So Steiner nails Booker with a pencil he got from his tights. It looks like a massive piece of chalk. Mm. It just looks like he's just hit him with Mr. Garrett-sized piece of chalk. <laughs> Take that. Take my chalk. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I'm pointing down as. He got knocked out by a piece of chalk. Ridiculous. Yeah, he takes it from his tights and hits Booker T with it mid-suplex to get the cover and become the new United States Championship, his first reign with the belt, after 15 minutes and 37 seconds. I thought this was fun for the most part. Dipped a little when Steiner got in control, but his character touches were so on point. He was marvellous in that regard. Getting the fans really riled. They hated him. Booker, like I said, had great energy, dynamic moveset. The finish felt a little flat. Yeah. The random foreign object thing. It feels a lot less modern than the wrestling that was going on beforehand. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the, the big chalk's a big no-no. I like this Booker T. What, what happened to this Booker T? Like, we never saw this Booker T in WWE. No, when he came in during the invasion and stuff, that wasn't Booker T. People talk about how good Booker T was in WCW. I never saw that Booker T. I don't think, anyway. People might disagree with that. That might be quite a controversial comment. But if you compare WCW Booker T to WWF Invasion Booker T, they're completely different. Mm. I liked this Booker T. I didn't like WWF Booker T. So these two guys here, the slightly upper side of the mid-card here, yeah. and they would go on to then, once a whole bunch of these stars start fleeing and getting released and their usefulness gets exhausted a bit, these two guys were then the, the guys to lead WCW into its final days. Yeah. Keep it hanging on in there. Yeah. And you, don't, you didn't always get that in WCW, that kind of progression where someone in... The upper echelons of the mid-card gets above that and starts to build on what they have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, other than that, I, I, like I say, it was a, a decent match. I felt like the referee spots was a bit, they were a bit ridiculous. But yeah, it, it was a good match. Mm. We then see an interview with Rey Mysterio Jr. at the WCW.com desk <laughs> with Mark Madden and a Bray Wyatt-esque lamp. Keeping to the whole Oregon Trail yeah. <laughs> theme of the show. Ray stressed that this title defence was just a one-time deal and him and Kidman are going to focus on them being the tag champions from now on. We think get a very brief video hyping the Kevin Nash versus Goldberg match, which is just a sizzle reel of them mostly wrestling other people in some weird spy-slash-metal-gear-solid-themed graphic package. Yeah. So despite the obvious history and Nash's reminders that he's the only guy that's ever beaten Goldberg, the match itself was only made official on the Nitro before Spring Stampede. Goldberg came out to the ring with a tumbler, like the Royal Rumble style tumbler, yeah. like, I'm not going to match it! I'm just going to draw out a name here, and whoever it is, you're next! And Nash was like, oh, hey big guy, I'm the only guy to beat you. Yeah. So, hence we have this match. 
The most interesting story involving Goldberg around this time actually didn't involve Kevin Nash. It came on the March 29th episode of Monday Nitro, which was the first episode to emanate from Canada. Mm. This is where he infamously got called out by Brett the Hitman Hart. So the previous week on the spring breakout Nitro, Brett had a moan as usual. Like, no, I came in a WCW to make a reputation not to lose one. (laughs) And so he repeats a fair bit of that in his promo in Canada. Like, oh, Hollywood Hogan, I think he's scared of me. He thinks because he's built like a tank that he can run over top of me. Well, I'm not going anywhere, Bill Goldberg, till you come out of that dressing room, biting your fingernails, trembling with fear, because he can take me on right here tonight in Toronto, Canada. Let's do this thing. What do you say? Let's get it on. The man. He's putting up all this money to take on Steve Austin. Well, let me tell you something. I beat Steve Austin every time I ever fought him. He likes to fancy himself some kind of big, fancy, tough football player. Well, I got news for you, Bill Goldberg. This is hockey country, Bill Goldberg. Put away your silly helmet and come out here and fight me. I'd like to see that. (laughs) I think it's like, William Goldberg, I can beat you in five minutes flat. When he mentioned that to Gene at spring break, he was like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) give me a break. You're you're selling Goldberg a little short there, pal. (laughs) So Goldberg came out, speared Brett, Got knocked unconscious by the spear. Brett got up first and revealed he had a metal plate underneath his hockey jersey. And it knocked out Goldberg. He counted Goldberg's shoulders down for a visual free count. And then quit WCW. Yeah. Wow. He went on some late night US show to discuss it apparently that they mentioned on one of the nitros I don't know what really came out of that the angle went to a grinding halt after Owen's death Mm. so we didn't really see what would come of this fully but yeah it felt in the shows leading up to this that they were building more towards Brett versus Goldberg as opposed to Goldberg versus Nash yeah that would be the match they'd eventually get at Starcade that year. Yeah. So it would give him a lot of credit given given how much would change in the intermediate time that you know they were sowing the seed for something bigger, but at least they had that in their yeah. back pocket. So it's our eighth match of the evening. Kevin Nash, accompanied by Lex Luger and Elizabeth, taking on Goldberg. Tony mentions that Goldberg was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly this week, but then slags them off for asking why his wrestling becomes so hot. Duh! It's always been hot. Fucking stay in you then giving you all this publicity and you're like, wrestling's always been a thing. Jesus wept. How ungrateful can you get? 
Nash does his best Scott Hall impression, and Tanae speculates that that's to wind up Goldberg over the cattle prog thing yeah. that led to him losing the streak. Nash scores with some big knees to the gut, and someone's clearly being ejected in the crowd as everyone yeah. stands up yeah, and yeah, looks yeah. away from the ring. Yeah. Liz distracts the ref so that Nash can mule kick Bill Squire in the nuts. Sidewalk slam and a rough rider by Nash, but Bill ducks a big boot to hit a flying shoulder block, half-hatch suplex, and a crescent kick. Then, holy shit, Kevin Nash leapfrogs the spear, yeah. and the spear <laughs> hits like, the referee. What? Yeah. Unreal. I didn't think he had that in his locker. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to forget he used to play basketball. Yeah, but still, I suppose you're not, you're not leapfrogging players, are you? <laughs> not quite, no. <laughs> Luger hits Goldberg with a chair, but Goldberg grabs Nash by the balls when he went for the jackknife. Then takes out Luger. Spear. <sighs> jackhammer. Nash gets counted down for the free count after 7 minutes and 44 seconds. Goldberg wins. Very short, big man match. You kind of knew Goldberg was going to win with what was happening in the match. It kind of just directed you towards the finish. And it was... It was okay. It was worth it for Nash's leapfrog. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. It was worth <laughs> it for that, yeah. When he was in control of the match, I just found it a bit uninspired and lazy. Like, I found it hard to believe that he was devastating Goldberg as much as commentary claimed he yeah. was doing. Mm-hmm. It felt like Goldberg had so much more left in the tank. But yeah, Bill smashed him as required. WWE should really have taken note of how... Goldberg was treated after his first loss. Yeah. Especially when it came to how they treated Asuka after her first loss. Oh, it's still rough. <laughs> Fuck you, Vince. Yeah. <laughs> you can all see my thread entitled The Absolute State of Asuka's Post-WrestleMania 34 which, Year. Which is quite popular at the moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <sighs> However, I would just like to point out that yes the whole booking of it is ridiculous and yes I really do feel sorry for Asuka but please can people stop tweeting shit to Charlotte she's doing her job I'm really amazed that people still do that stuff it's like what the fuck this is like the most transparent it's been in ages that (laughs) it's the guy at the top desperate to add some intrigue because he doesn't know what the fuck is going on with Wrestlemania yeah it's just like, don't tweet to Charlotte, oh, you're doing this, you're ruining WrestleMania, you're doing this, you're doing that. This is her job. She was told to do this. She's going to do this, okay? Mm. She is probably one of the best women wrestlers ever, okay? Leave her the fuck alone. God, yeah. your anger should be towards the way they're treating Asuka, not to Charlotte. Ugh. Mm. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> we then get the video package hyping up the main event, which doesn't really explain much about how it came about. So I'm going to run it through you myself okay. here. So as mentioned, Flair regained the WCW title at Uncensored to kickstart his heel turn as he started to get drunk with power as the president. Now, despite running up a couple of defences against Rey Mysterio Jr. and Barry Windham, the title situation for Spring Stampede only really took shape on the March 29th Nitro. This show saw DDP return from injury, 
to confront Ric Flair, and he started to show some more heelish tendencies. I've been cut to a pre-taped interview between him and Tanay earlier that night, where he says he doesn't want to be referred to as the People's Champion anymore. Hogan then joined the fray, and Flair then parlayed this into a match between Hogan and Page that would main event that show. And all while this is going on, Sting, who himself was returning from injury, was watching in the rafters. Sting was painted in his old black and white face paint instead of a red and black. So he's disassociated himself with the wolf pack following their heel turn. Yeah. Hogan beat Page in a match where they brawled around the old Nitro set, knocking the WCW letters over. Yeah. You know how like when WWE are about to move to a new set, they kind of write it off in yeah, kayfabe. Yeah. So Rhino gores Jericho through the SmackDown video yeah. wall. Uh, Jeff Hardy leaps off the old Raw set and Triple H throws his sledgehammer through it before they go to the HD set. Yeah. That kind of thing. This was like a shit version of that. Yeah. <laughs> they just like try to hit each other into the old WCW letters. Yeah. At some point, either that night or on the next episode of Thunder... It was announced that this match actually made Hogan the number one contender for Spring Stampede. Val got retconned on the April 5th edition of Nitro, where Flair was feeling really bold and he wanted to challenge Hogan to the match that night instead. This then led to a revolving door segment where Goldberg, Page and Hogan all interrupted Flair and... eventually turned into an incredibly similar matchup to what we're getting at this show. Mm. A Tornado Four Corners match, with Flair defending against Page, Hogan and Goldberg. The match somehow ended in a no contest, and upon its conclusion, Sting descended from the rafters. And as promised by video packages that night and on the previous Thunder, he came to deliver a message. He pointed to the video screens, queuing a video announcement from an off-screen, but familiar-sounding, gravelly voice, yeah. It stated that Flair will defend the title at Spring Stampede against Hogan, Page, and Sting in another Four Corners Tornado match. There must be a winner! And to guarantee it, I'm gonna referee. Ooh, yeah! So he didn't come out and say that it was the match on man Randy Savage, yeah. but it obviously was the match on man Randy Savage. Himself returning from, I think it was a knee injury the previous summer. I have no idea how Macho or Sting got the authority to do this, though. Mm. Who would be your favourite going into this match? Before I watch the match, definitely Sting. This is going to sound ridiculous, but I, I, I've never been a huge Hogan WCW fan. Mm-hmm. So even if he was the favourite to win, I would completely write him off anyway because I wasn't a fan of, of that. And then, yeah, my, my on that logic was just Sting because Flair being who Flair is, I think he'd, well, I don't think Flair would win. Mm. Yeah, Sting would be my favourite wrestler of this collection. I was thinking as well, DDP is the only guy in this match not to be world champion. It'd be a good point. You know, it's a fresh WCW. They've got this new look. He's a WCW original, if you will. If he kind of got the title out of this. It would 
be a, a good signal that something interesting, yeah. something new was going on. Yeah. But yeah, the fans were super, super invested in Sting as well, so he, he felt like a good option to me as well. Yeah. Well, the thing with this match, I have watched his interview with Joe Rogan, DDP's, and he talks about all of this. Yeah. So I knew about like the match and the result and everything beforehand, but I, I wanted to to review it best. I wanted to put like a clean slate on it and just ignore what I'd already heard. So it's our main event of the evening, a four corners match for the WCW Championship. It's the president and champion Ric Flair defending against Hollywood Hogan, Diamond Dallas Page and Sting with special guest referee midlife crisis macho man Randy Savage. Who's greased up to hell. If he walks past a lighter, he's gone. <laughs> he's accompanied by gorgeous George, his squeeze at the time. I disliked the fact that the champion entered this match first. Big pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Yeah, challenger always goes first. Mm. So Flair and Hogan and DDP and Sting end up pairing off with each other. Scorpion Deathlock gets escaped early. And Paige gets a netbreaker for a two count. A top rope clothesline and Sting a splash by Sting. Sees him try to get the fall but Flair broke it up. Hogan whips Flair with his weightlifting belt. And then hooks up from the chops. Sting then hooks the Deathlock on Paige. But this was while Hogan was going to get the pin on Flair after yeah. the leg drop, so Sting had to break the hold. Flair got the figure four on Hogan, only to get awkwardly sent to the outside by Page, and then Page hooks Hogan in the figure four around the ring post, a la Bret Hart. Yeah. This completely knackers Hulk's knee, and trainers and Eric Bischoff come out and check on Hogan, who's carried to the back. And some smark in the crowd yells, Retire, Hogan! Retire! Because <laughs> apparently he, he was dealing with a lot of injuries at the time, wasn't he? I mean, he's gone, brother. <laughs> <laughs> he's always gone. So I think uh, they, this was just a way of like helping that along for him to have a bit of time. Mm, yeah. Paige just sits back and watches Sting and Flair go at it before hitting a discus lariat on Flair and getting Stinger splashed again. The diamond cutter is blocked into a bulldog and Sting tried a tombstone but Paige turned it into a tombstone. Loved that. It was so cool. <laughs> I was imagining that going on forever. A circus trick. Yeah. <laughs> Flair broke the fall but got superplexed by Sting and then Nate's got a sleeper on Sting but Paige got a sleeper on Flair mm. simultaneously. Sting is able to jawbreaker both of them at once and hit a stereo clothesline. Then the Deathlock on Flair gets broken up by DDP, but Paige's suplex is countered into the Scorpion Death Drop, and Flair had to pull him off the cover. He knees Sting in the nooks, hooks on the figure four, but Sting got the ropes, and then out of nowhere, Macho Man pulls Flair into the middle of the ring, hits him with a top rope elbow drop. What? is happening <laughs> I don't get we're going back tonight now mayhem what is going on because <laughs> he's refereed this whole match pretty fairly yeah. so far and he's just like nope I'm going to screw you brother <laughs> then the diamond cutter by DDP 
allows him to get the free count and win his first World Heavyweight Championship after 17 minutes and 27 seconds. <laughs> there were some clunky moves when all four of them was in the ring. I just think they were getting in each other's way. But that didn't last for long. There wasn't a long time that they were all in there. I picked up something that one of the commentators said that really confused me. Mm-hmm. Sting and DDP are on the outside. Yeah. And it's when DDP had just let go of Hogan in the, the lock because Sting was trying to pull DDP off. Yeah. And so they're on the outside and Flair's in the ring and Hogan rolls back in the ring and the commentator then says, oh, Flair literally bypassed everyone to get to Hogan. Who did he bypass? DDP and Sting are on the outside and Flair is in the ring on his own. Who has he bypassed? That doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. DDP just chilling. What was that about? That looks so weird. Actually, you two fight, you know. Normally, well, as we see now, it's just roll out the ring and hide. <laughs> yeah. WCW is, fuck that. I just, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, it's fine. You, mm. you lot do that. I mean, this is like... Um, one of the very earliest examples of this type of match, they don't refer to it as a fatal four-way, it's a four-corner tornado match. Yeah. So always reiterating, there's no tags in this match. Like Ring of Honor still do this style of match up right now, where there's four guys, but people have to tag in, and right. there's only two at a time. Yeah. absolutely love that tombstone flip. That's so good. And then, I'm really good for DDP, because that ending was shit. That was awful. I mean, from Randy Savage going off the top rope to DDP winning, there must have been, what, two and a half minutes gone past of nothingness. Like, absolutely nothing. And then he just wins the belt. Mm. I I just, yeah, I really did not like the ending. But overall, it, it it was a good match. I think the four of them coped well. Together. Yeah. Yeah. Chaotic but watchable match. Yeah. It was at its best when Paige and Sting were going at it together. Yeah. They had an absolutely awesome match a few weeks after this on Nitro. I definitely encourage you to track that down. It's yeah. sensational. This is far superior to the standard of WCW main events at the time. They put over the sudden death stipulation pretty well, I thought. You know, we're saying even though it was a bit clunky with all four of them in, at least they were spotting, oh, well, yeah. going to have to abandon my advantage to stop this potential fall here. That kind of thing. It was wise that they got Hogan out of the way early. Although, in fairness, he did seem kind of sprightly. Sending the crowd home happy with a new first-time champion who's fresh it was a good decision, I thought. Even though, like you say, the, the execution of it with... Macho Man just going off on one out of nowhere. It felt a bit abrupt. Yeah. Overall, though, Mm -hmm. it's been a decent pay-per-view. And I'm really sad to say I enjoyed a WCW (laughs) pay-per-view. I did. That's one of how many pay-per-views they did, but it's one. (laughs) It's one. We're one all. At the moment. Right. You need to find me another good Oh, you're going to be a tiebreaker now, is yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you give me the shittest one first. 
this one's built on that. I need a third one to really decide. Right. Hmm. Okay, then. <laughs> Match of the night standout performer for you here. Match of the night. Ooh. Ray and Billy Kidman. Mm. I hope that it's not for the fact that I know both of them that made me feel interested in it more. But I just... I just felt more invested in it. It was really good from start to finish. And that that match was, I think, the only match actually watching it where I kind of wasn't busybodying while I was watching it. Mm. Like I watched the whole thing all the way through. Standout, well, not so much standout, but surprise, is Booker T. Just because of the shit that we watched in WWF, WWE, compared to this guy. Like, who who's this guy? I would have loved to see that Booker team in WWE. Definitely. He's just in the zone at this point in time. That TV championship, he had to win like a best of seven series just to get a title shot for that title. Yeah. And he's week in, week out, wrestling on TV, in there with a great mix of guys, really learning how to move on towards being a singles guy. And there's lots of interesting stuff from Booker around that time period, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I really enjoyed this show. For better or worse, it was a lot more trademark WCW stuff. There's a lot more that you'd associate closely with WCW as opposed to the last show that we had, yeah. where it was Russo shoehorning his ways yeah. into the way the show worked. You had the trademark Cruiserweight Championship scene, yeah. guys wrestling that style, it was all exciting. You had wrestlers inserted into matchups for the sake of it to show off at the fact that they have all of these very many wrestlers yeah you had a, a good range of stories up and down the card you know even people who weren't even getting on nitro or thunder getting some kind of storyline resolution at a pay-per-view you had guys like disco and conan who existed you had Horsemen, just mid-card guys going out there, killing it. United States title match is good. You had Goldberg being booked strong. Quick Hoss match. You had similar sort of cogs moving around in the main event wheel. Yeah. But it's a little bit fresher than usual with Paige finally breaking that glass ceiling. Yeah, I enjoyed most of what was on offer today kind of lost its way a little bit with the three matches after the opener which was a good opener the cruiserweight title match the tag match the US title match and the main event oh really enjoyable my favourite match was the tag team match yeah as far as sensational used the time really effectively built it up to one point tore it back down got back to another point that had the crowd ravenous it was just phenomenal. Yeah. My standout here was, again, not necessarily because they were like the best performer on this show, but DDP getting his first world title mm. and finally cementing himself as more of a permanent player yeah. Yeah, yeah. up there. Yeah. It felt like a good move, the right direction. Mm. And... Yeah, they say even though the finish to his title win was a bit innocuous, still to see him get that championship is yeah. just really good. It's a 
consistent performer yeah. all throughout. Good. Thank you for letting me watch that. It was a pleasure. Actually using yeah. that for me, should I say. I guess we'll have to go even further back in time to show you something even closer to Yeah, we, we don't want to go forwards because we don't have to shit It's settled. We're watching a WCW yeah. 2000 show now. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to go into the Russo era. No. No. <laughs> If you really want to show how good WCW was, don't go forward. <laughs> That'll settle it for this edition. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast and also on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast, where you can keep a track of all our news, all of our opinions, all my rants at how shit Ask has been treating lately. If you want to give us a listen, we're on lots of podcast platforms, we're on iTunes, or you can give us a subscribe. And a five-star review will really help us up the algorithms and stuff. We're also on Stitcher Radio and Spotify and, of course, SoundCloud, where you can find a playlist of all of our past episodes so far, as well as my guest appearances on the Raw is Nitro podcast. And keep your ear to the ground with that one. There's more shows with me and Lee coming up very soon. You can give us a like on Facebook as well, if that's your thing. <laughs> The Facebook account will be updated as best we can. <laughs> it's kind of like the ugly child, isn't it? We're just <laughs> Instagram and Twitter we're fine with and SoundCloud. <laughs> Facebook just doesn't get touched. No. And we also have a tips jar over at ko-fi.com forward slash I think it's then now whatever or TNW Wrestling Podcast. Something like that. Just search for it on our Twitter. Give us a little tip and then we can go out for a pint give you a toast yeah the fact that you're enjoying our show I guess next time it'll be Wrestlemania baby it will be Mania we will be here the night of Mania we will be getting our usual takeaway and drinks to watch and I'm excited it's been a while actually since we've watched it live Mm -hmm. it's what two two years two years I think so yeah. yeah so yeah should be nice should be good good fun Yeah, let's see who falls asleep first. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's a goodbye from Kyle. Uh, Goodbye, thank you for listening. And it's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road. Awesome balls.